Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi Rabbil alemin. Ve salatu ve selamu ala seyyidil mursalin ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ve baraka ve selleme tesliman kathiran ila yawmiddin amma ba'd. We had been speaking about believing in qadr. And what that means is not just as an article of faith that if somebody asks us what are the fundamental beliefs that you have as a Muslim and we say we believe in Allah and his angels and his scriptures and the last day and Qadr. This is a belief uh, that people have on paper as an article of faith. But it needs to become a reality. And that's why he had said that you will never feel the pleasure of Iman. You'll never taste Iman what it truly is, what faith truly is, until you believe and in your heart you believe it, you interact with it and it becomes a reality in your life. And thus it is not something that we just bring up when asked to reaffirm our faith, but rather on a personal level each time something happens to us, we bring in mind Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Qadr doesn't what's being expected of us is not that you have to believe oh I believe in the Qadr of Allah but rather when something happens that is maybe a bit unfavorable then we think of Allah and we say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows Allah hasbun Allahu wa ni'mal wakil so it's that interaction uh, that this is actually speaking about because when you th- the whole point of it is that it's supposed to make life easier and take out the concern and the worry knowing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with us the more a person thinks about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and how he's in control of everything how he's behind everything then it alleviates this feeling of helplessness aloneness estrangement loneliness of, of course and depression because you think Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He knows anyway. So what He wants, I've tried my best. Likewise, when something good happens, then we don't attribute it to ourselves. We say, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah shukr. Allah shukr. He gave us this. You have food on your table, and mashallah, you have good food, and you thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're given a gift. Something good happens in your life. Something favorable happens in your life. And you think about Allah. That's the way I look at Qadr. Because really that's the maqsad and the objective of it. As Allah says in the Quran, So that you don't feel depressed and despondent when something misses you. When something misses you and you couldn't get it, then you don't keep crying. And likewise, if you do have something and you do attain something, لا تفره, you don't exult about it. You don't get arrogant about it. It's just to moderate us. Until then, you're not gonna, we're not going to feel the, the pleasure of Iman. Iman is supposed to create that balance within us. And you can only have that balance with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like this. So it's just about trying to remember Allah each time. So, there's a very... You see, because it's only what Allah wills that will happen. In many cases, in, in most cases in fact, everything happens from behind a veil. You ask for something, it's not going to pop in front of you. 
it's generally going to come if it comes through somebody, through something. Somebody's going to be made a means of what you ask for. So, although extraordinary events do take place as well sometimes, those are where it's just clear cut. But generally, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala works from behind a veil. Sometimes, however, it's a very obvious situation. It just seems very extraordinary. So, for example, the great hadith master Al-Humaydi, who was a student and companion of Ibn Hazm al-Zahiri, his student, I mean, he he relates this in he's got a book is it's called Jadwatul Muqtabas fi Dhikri Walatil Andalus um, as you know Ibn Hazm was from Andalus which means uh, Spain so this is just some stories about the the different walis and governors in Andalus they had some interesting stories over the years over the centuries rather he says that there was a wazir a minister whose name was Abu Umar, Ahmad ibn Sa'id ibn Hazm, the the father of Ibn Hazm al-Zahiri. Right. So uh, he's this is uh, Humaydi who's relating from his teacher about his father, Ibn Hazm, about his, Ibn Hazm's father. He was once sitting in front of his his governor, Mansur ibn Amir, Muhammad ibn Amir. Muhammad Abu Abu Amir, Muhammad Ibn Abi Amir, that's the governor's name, and this uh, the father of Ibn Hazm is a minister for that governor. So what happens is this was a open gathering for the public, and this is where people could come and give their petitions, bring up their issues and see what the governor could, how they could help him uh, how the uh, the governor could help them so there was a note that came up to him uh, from a mother who had a son in prison and she was asking for some mercy clemency like help out here get him out so this mansur the governor had put him into prison for a really big crime or at least a crime that he thought was big and serious so he put him into prison so he gets this from the mother that have some mercy on him he read it he got even more angry because it was a serious crime for him so he got even more angry and he said you've just reminded me of him basically you just got me more angry he had forgotten about him, but now when she mentioned, when this note was given to him, he felt that he'd reminded me of the seriousness of that crime. So he got even more angry. وَأَخَذَ he الْقَلَمْ took, He took his pen and he wrote, uh, he wanted to write on the paper, on that note, Yuslab, he should be crucified, he should be killed. I mean, like, finish him. Right? So, instead of writing Yuslab, Ya Sad Lam Bim, Ba, he wrote, Yutlak. Right? It's similar, but it's not the same. But he wrote Yutlak. That's what he wrote. But I didn't realize or whatever. He threw the, the note at the wazir that we mentioned, Abu Amr. So the wazir took it, 
so that he could write it out properly because the the, the, the the governor he just gives <clears throat> small small indications and then somebody has to write an official letter that look this is what needs to happen to this person so he wrote according to what he had seen on the Yuslab it said Yuslab you uh, sorry Yutlak Yutlak means uh, let him go Yutlak means let him go Yuslab means crucify him kill him and Yutlak means let him go so he decided to write that so Mansur said to him what are you writing he said uh, to release him to I'm, I'm writing this letter to the police that they should release him. So he got very angry. He said, Man Who told you to do this? Why are you writing that for? So then he gave him the paper. He said, Look, this is what you wrote. You wrote Yutlak, not Yuslab. So he said that he was Wahim too. I, I, I made a mistake. The, the Wali, he says he made a mistake. Mansur. So then again, he went to write. Yuslab. Again, he wrote Yutlak. So he gives it back to the wazir. The wazir starts writing the letter. Mansur looks at it and gets very angry. Gets even more angry than the first time. Like, well, I'm telling you, what's wrong with you? Who to who's telling you to write this? So again, he showed it to him. He sees his own writing, and it was written, Yutlak. What does Yutlak mean? He should be freed. You understanding, Salim? La ilaha illallah. So this is now the third time he goes to write Yuslab. Again, he writes Yutlak for some reason. You know, maybe it was just like, maybe he wasn't looking at it at that time. He just and gave it. Wazir takes it again and starts writing. And this time, Mansur, Mansur looks at uh, this Mansur looks at it again, and he gets even more angry than like, what's going on with you guys? You, get, you know, you can imagine what kind of anger he must have had by then, and. So again, he shows him the letter and he says, look, this is what you wrote. Yutlak. So finally, he is defeated. He says, Naam, Yutlak, ala raghmi. Let him go despite myself. Despite myself. And then Suhana, he says, Faman, see, this is bringing Qadr. Faman arad Allahu itlaqahu la aqdir. Ana, ala mani'i. Anybody who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to set free, I'm not going to be able to prevent that. Now, this seems a bit of a <clears throat> quite an interesting story, and quite an extraordinary story. So sometimes things like this happen as well, but not all the time. I mean, sounds a bit far-fetched that three times he wrote this, but it's a possibility that when a person is in a distraction, and he's got so many things to think about, and if you see the way these guys... Um, I remember in Syria or in Egypt you have to go to these offices and you have to get 10 people's signature it's ridiculous right so you go to the one person you fill in the form he looks at it he puts a stamp on it he says okay take it to the mudir you go there and he signs and like there's so many people coming in so he's just signing them you go somewhere else and he has to sign it it's just all his bureaucracy so maybe it was something to do with that I'm trying to give some understanding of this there's another story which uh, sounds um, obviously a lot more plausible We're not de denying this story But saying even that could happen That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Could ha make it happen even that way And it's not impossible Things, Strange things do happen Sheikh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghudda He says that a friend of his Who was in the Uthmani army The Ottoman army And this was earlier on He must have been an older person Who had been in the Ottoman army During the first world war 
he mentioned to him that they had been preparing for a particular battle. They were preparing for a particular battle. And every one of the soldiers had found what they thought was the best place to uh, to build a a defense maybe a, a hole in the ground a trench and then to fortify it so each one uh, each group each person had done this and it all set themselves up the commander came around to check everybody's positions and this particular individual this particular soldier he had the the commander really liked how he had uh, strengthened his place and how he had uh, he had a very good position so what he did was he's a commander right <clears throat> he took one of his friends in the army and he moved this guy away it was his trench he moved him away and put that his friend inside that place thinking that this would be more safe for him and he moved this man who had made this trench somewhere else. And then, <clears throat> obviously, he turned away. He was very unhappy. It was by force and coercion that he had to move. So he was very unhappy and angry. However, when the war start, when the battle started, immediately they fired a rocket from that side and it landed in this particular trench, despite the fact that it seemed to be the most protected. And that guy was killed in there. The friend of the commander was killed in there. And this person was saved. So that's again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does these things sometimes like this. But it's up to him. There's no guarantee. You can never say that this is what's going to happen. You just have to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then deal with it like that. So this gives us some kind of unique experiences in the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is behind everything. And in this case, we can actually clearly see that there is a certain wisdom. We can see the wisdom. In many cases, it's obscure. But it's belief in Allah that will help us to manage that situation. When you can't understand something, you can't understand why something is happening. But if you have trust in Allah, it'll just make it easy. Otherwise, you'll be getting angry with everybody around you. Okay, then Allah uh, Muhasibi, he continues from that point saying, وَكُنْ بِالْحَقِّ عَامِلًا يَزِدْكَ اللَّهُ نُورًا وَبَصِيرَةً Always practice the truth. Always practice the truth. The benefit of this will be that Allah will increase you in your light and your insight. Your light and your insight. The light will be beneficial for us on the Day of Judgment and in this world. Because on the Day of Judgment there will be no light and everybody will need light. That's why the munafiqeen, they will say to the believers, uh, Let us take some light from you. No, you guys leave. You guys leave. Look behind you. You go and look for your own light, source of light. So all actions in this world will become a source of light in the hereafter. And of course, insight. A person will become wiser. That's as long as a person is always on the truth. This is the benefit. Do not ever be of those people who command that the truth be followed, but stays away themselves from it. They tell others to do it, but they abstain themselves, they refrain themselves, they can't do it themselves. Then the person is going to return with the sin of that. And he's setting himself up for the anger of his Lord. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, 
It's a massive lie and falsehood in the sight of Allah that you say that which you do not do. Uh, this has to be clarified that in the West, when they find a minister uh, who is uh, uh, maybe to do with uh, immigrants and so on, and then they find out somebody who's... When you, when you have a minister or something who um, is supposed to be the minister for immigration and so on, and then you find that he's actually using an immigrant as a servant in his house, right? Cheap labor, right? That's clear hypocrisy. He is supposed to be in charge, but on the other hand, he's using an immigrant for cheap labor. So it's a clear hypocrisy. However, you get some who are, it's to do with, for example, morality, and then they get caught doing something wrong. Somebody could make a mistake. They genuinely don't want to do something. Hiring an immigrant is not a temporary weakness. It's a proper decision, day after day. But somebody who fell to a weakness, and then they call them hypocritical. Well, it may be hypocrisy, but you have to understand people have weaknesses. So likewise here as well, if somebody is telling others, don't do this, don't do that, but then they may commit this sometime with dislike, then that's not hypocrisy. They're trying. But somebody who doesn't try at all and he's just going around telling everybody, you mustn't do this, you mustn't do that, you mustn't do this, doesn't pray himself, doesn't uh, uh, abstain from the haram himself, then this is what this is talking about. Especially if the person is saying all of these things just to get a position, to get influence, to seem like a pious person, but he has no intention of being a pious person. One is that you can't do something yourself, but you want others to do it because you hope that will affect you as well. That's why uh, the big ulama, they, they've mentioned, Mawla Hazrat, Hakim uh, Mawla Tanwi, he says that he had a bit of an issue with anger and thus he gave a speech about anger. Firstly, telling himself. So that is justified, that if you want change, you find yourself too weak to do it, but you want to create that environment, then it's fine. It's not clear hypocrisy, is it? One needs to distinguish between these things. Hypocrisy is where you tell people to make yourself look like you're pious, but you don't do it at all, you have no intention to do it. That's what I think hypocrisy is here. Not that you want to change, and you want people to change, and you think this will help you change. Because when your surrounding changes, then it's easier for you to change as well. So that's what I think this verse means. وَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ مَنْ وَعَظَ وَلَمْ يَتَّعِذْ وَزَجَرَ وَلَمْ يَنْزَجِرْ وَنَهَا وَلَمْ يَنْتَهِ فَهُوَ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ مِنَ الْخَائِبِينَ Wallahu alam if this is a hadith or not because the editor mentions that he couldn't find this hadith, he couldn't find the narration. But either way, the wisdom in it is true. Whoever gives nasiha, gives advice to others but doesn't take the advice himself, has no intention to do it. Right? Who censors others, stops others but doesn't stop himself, who prohibits others but doesn't uh, stop himself, then he is of the losers according to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now that's clear. Right? He's not going to get any benefit out of that. Whereas the other person who's trying and who's telling others as well, and he sincerely believes it should change, then he will be rewarded for that, even though he's weak himself. That's why Imam Malik and many others, they have said that if nobody was to sin, no, if you 
had to be sinless to do Amr bil ma'roof and nahi anil munkar, then after Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, nobody would be able to do so. Because nobody's pure. That's why once Ibn uh, Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, he wrote to one of his governors about something, that look, don't do this, don't do that. And he says, I know that I am probably the, the, the one who uh, has uh, the greatest shortcomings. But I'm telling you this. So this is, this is justified in that sense. In fact, one poet says that they want people not to tell anybody off unless they can stay, uh, uh, to not prohibit anything un unless they can fully uh, be clean themselves. They don't want anybody to do Amr al-Ma'ruf and Nahi anil munkar so that everybody can be the same and nobody has any guilty feeling. So that's the intention of some people. It's like, why are you telling them? That's why a lot of people, they say, look, especially in the West where you're not supposed to tell anybody anything. This is kind of the environment that we have. But it's very, very harmful because it then becomes prevalent. Then we get caught up in it as well if we don't. And that's why the Hadith mentions very clearly that there was a punishment. Jibreel was told to bring punishment to a certain area. And it was mentioned that, oh, there's that particular pious person there. So Allah said, go and strike him first why because he's never we read that before he said because his face has never changed for my sake meaning he's never seen wrong and prohibited it this is becoming tolerant of wrong around you so nasiha is for everybody it's not just for the ulama because our deen is nasiha deenun nasiha and it's very very useful when people can tell each other in a nice way unfortunately you can't do that anymore it's just very difficult to go and tell anybody anything we don't even know how to do it. But we should start and we should do it with the full, you know, in, with the right kind of manners. And that's how the improvement in our community will be. We start with our family and we discuss. And th this is how, inshallah, we can help. It's just there are certain rules to be followed, wisdoms, uh, wise ways of doing this.